0: Good morning. Yeah, everybody sounds still tired a little bit from the rain. So, so good to see you all. So glad to be up here and being able to share the message with you this morning. If you're for those of you who've been coming here for a while, it's good to see you again. For those of you who are new, welcome. We're glad that you're here at Emmaus on this Sunday, even though it is rainy. We're glad that you guys are here, and we would love to meet you. You can meet with us after the service at the Connect table. We talk to you and get to know all the things about you. Um, and for those who are new, I am Corey. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Emmaus, and so... One of the privileges and honors I have is that I get to lead the men's ministry here at the church. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Jordan was louder than the other men. What's going on here? And so we've actually, uh, we've had a blast. We've been uh, camping out in the middle of nowhere in the woods when it was cold. I remember the next morning, all of us dudes were just sitting around fire and we're eating our food. And the next thing you know, we see Sam come running down the hill from a brisk four-mile run, shirtless with no sweat on his body, I was like, I wouldn't even got 50 feet up this hill, I would have been crawling. And so, and then we also go get breakfast, breakfast every other week on a Friday. And so, if you're a guy in here, if not connected, I would love to connect with you, get you involved in all the things that we're doing with the men. And then the other thing I get to do with the church is I can be the landscaper the janitor, the uh, maintenance man. So I don't know if you've ever uh, blew leaves here at this church. Um, Because I didn't either until uh, Thursday. And I also didn't know how much land that we had here until Thursday. Um, And so I got here with a lot of enthusiasm, like, all right, I'm blowing leaves. It'll be fun. I'm used to this. Started at 9.30, six hours later, I was like, man, I'm still not done. There's a lot of leaves here at church, but it's been great. It's been great. I love it. I love it. So we've, we've been going through the yeah, Advent series where, you know, we're following the big C church calendar, which marks the church through a circular sequence of seasons and feasts grounded in the story of Jesus and so Advent starts the beginning of the church year and explores four themes using four candles, as we just did. The first week, which was hope, Spencer did a fire, incredible sermon on talking about hope and our hope in Jesus. And then this past week, we had Powell talk about peace, which was also incredible. If you have not gotten a chance to listen to those, we do have an Emmaus YouTube channel and we also have a man's podcast. And I would highly recommend going back and listening to those sermons to keep you up to date. And so, as we did with the candle lighting, today we're talking about joy. And something I want to preference before diving into it, a couple weeks before even Spencer asked me about, you know, getting the chance to teach one Sunday, I kept seeing this four-letter word called glad. All the time. Like, I started reading the Bible, you know, the first time to kind of, like, gloss over it. You're like, okay, whatever. You know, and you keep reading, and then keep reading. See it again. I will go to another passage. I would you know, I get to work at a, another company where we clean people's windows and do pressure washing and stuff like that. So we get to go in a lot of people's houses. And maybe it's just a, a thing that people do, but, like, all their signs in their house, you know, live, laugh, love. It was, like, it was like glad. Every one of them I saw was glad. I was like, man, what is up with this? Why do I keep seeing this? And so I was like, all right, let me get. him. He's got my attention. So I looked it up and I was just like, oh, it's pretty much the same as joy. Like they're synonymous together. And then Spencer, one day I was here. He's like, hey, I'm going to get you to preach. I was like, cool, what are we doing? He was like, In December doing Advent. I was like, oh, cool. What do you want me to talk about? Joy. Hmm funny. This is ironic. Little did he know. So with all that being said, I'm convinced that some of you need this, and it's not because I'm saying it. I'm convinced, if not most of us, including myself, this sermon was just as much as convicting and difficult and hard to even swallow because it's just, you you just don't know until you really dive into something. Like I for like most of us, you know, joy is a very small word. We can describe it, but not really many of us are feeling it or experiencing it. And so today, as we walk through John's poetic prologue and exploring the theme of Advent, joy, I'm going to have John 1.14 up on the screen. If you want to, you can turn to your Bibles. Um, but I'm going to have two different versions The first one on the screen is the English Standard Version, better known as Extra Spiritual Version, Um, up on the screen. And then I'll read the other one next. John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as if the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now again, but this time through the Message Translation which says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son. Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Let us pray. Jesus, we seek you. We come to you. We ask for your presence. And Lord, I ask seriously, we need you. It's normal to come every Sunday, but it's not sometimes normal to encounter you. So, Lord, may we encounter you. May you speak, Holy Spirit, rather that be joy in the hearts of us, or rather that be conviction. Whatever it be that you want to say, may we hear it. Lord, as it says, today the Spirit is speaking, but do not harden your hearts. So may we not harden our hearts at this time. Lead us to you. Lead us to your presence. Lead us to your joy. We say this in your name. Amen. There was one night during college, I won't forget. It had been like nine months past since I had probably honestly gone through one of the toughest two weeks of my entire life. And the It started off with a broken engagement. My brother was sentenced to prison for 10 years. My mother crippled by Crohn's disease. My father having heart complications. Losing two dear friends of mine who was in the church I grew up in. One to cancer and one just because. And then at the same time, I was driving my truck that had left me broken down on the road more times than I wanted. Not to mention the youth group I was pastoring wanted to go through the book of Job. I was like, great, this is just so fitting for what I'm going through. So needless to say, life was very gloomy and bleak, empty after all those things happened. And eventually I was numb to the point where I didn't really feel anything, just pushing through just moving on with the motions of life, but not experiencing anything. And then that same night as I was sitting at our school, we had this pond and it had a little picnic tables or stuff set out. And so no one went down there at nighttime, but I, I did. And so I went down there and I'm just praying. And I remember him saying to me, you have lived these last nine months without... Joy, in me. Joy in me. I was confronted by the truth that I actually knew little of joy. You know, I knew how to describe it. You know, I went to Bible college. I knew what joy was. I could expound on it in a biblical studies class. I can tell you what it is. You know, me and my peers, we would spend hours talking about biblical topics. Like I'm going to school, knowing about Jesus. Jesus is joy. I should know. The thing is, I knew the information, but I wasn't experiencing it. It wasn't felt in my life. Like, I knew about it, but I didn't know it. When was the last time you felt joyful? Glad. Might even say satisfied. When's the last time you actually felt Joyful. That life felt joyful. That you felt it, not knew it, but felt it. To go even deeper, one study reveals an upwards of 60% of Gen Z have a medical diagnosed anxiety disorder. 60. 54% say it's gotten worse in the last year. 43% of them with anxiety experience a panic attack once a month. I don't know if you have ever experienced a panic attack before, but they are indeed not joyful. And the most common cause of anxiety is the future, which is ironic because Advent is all about the future and oriented around it. Gen Z, 42% is about twice as likely as an American's over 25, which is 23, to battle depression and feeling of hopelessness. 18% would rather be dead than alive. Call it a slow motion crisis. 45% of people have felt, not felt true happiness for more than two years. And 25% don't or have forgotten what it means to feel truly happy. So in 2002, American happiness hit a record low at 62% aren't satisfied and only 12% are very happy. What is actually intriguing about the 12% is America's happiest people have a few traits in common. They value community and close personal relationships and they tend to believe in God. They tend to believe in God. They have relationship and community. Those are the 12% of people. So it's safe to say joy is absent. Gen C, our generation, seems like we're dwindling on what happiness and joy even is to the point where it's like we're erasing the emotion entirely. Non-existent. And a lot of us, if we're honest, may feel the same way in this room. So, joy, chara, synonymous with rejoice, is a Greek noun which describes a feeling of inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing. And now, chara is also related to charis, which is a Greek word for grace, which means or gift. And so, chara is normally a response to charis. We have joy because of God's grace, the gift. We have it because it's a gift of his grace that he gave to you and me. Like, we have it because of that. And now joy appears over and over again in the scriptures. So, for instance, the Psalms are, you know, covered and filled with references to joy. One of them, the psalmist writes, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning." another one and shout for the joy to God all the earth likewise in new testament we read that joy is a fruit of the spirit which means that it's meant to be produced in the life of the believer for the sake of the world so given the biblical emphasis of our times we need to recognize what joy is and pursue it and give it as a gift to a joyless generation. And sometimes I think we struggle to grasp this biblical view of joy because of the way it is defined and described in Western culture. In particular, we often confuse it, joy with happiness. So there's this man named John Locke who was an English philosopher who coined this phrase, the phrase of the pursuit of happiness. Happiness. And Thomas Jefferson incorporated it in the Declaration in 1776 on July 4th. What's funny is that John Locke's original verbiage of this was life, freedom, and property. And then Thomas Jefferson reiterated it into his own phrase, pursuit of happiness. So embedded into the DNA of our society from the start that we became a nation, a country, we have been chasing material. We have been chasing things that only give temporal joy. Like we are fascinated with things because our whole culture is bent to it. Like we're bent to find things and find joy in things that will not give you joy. We think more money. No, we know how that goes. Career, other people. Other things, like in essence, they can't provide joy. Maybe for a little bit, but in the end, it'll run dry. So what is the difference between joy and happiness? And I'll have on the screen, I actually have a list between joy and happiness. And I'll read them off. And it says, joy is of the soul. Happiness is of the moment. Joy transcends. Happiness reacts. Joy embraces peace and contentment waiting to be discovered. And joy is a practice and a behavior and it's deliberate and intentional and happiness comes and goes along its way. And joy is grounded in attitude. Honesty is a fleeting, or excuse me, happiness is a fleeting feeling. Joy endures hardship, trials, and connects with meaning and purpose. So a person may pursue happiness, but they must choose joy. Joy is independent of circumstance. So Dallas Willard says of joy, joy is not pleasure, a mere sensation, but a persuasive and constant sense of well-being. So joy and happiness may be similar, but they are also very different. Joy transcends and goes beyond happiness, and joy is grander than happiness. It's kind of like happiness is like having an ice cream cone while joy is on in the shop. That's a different type of joy right there. (laughs) Different type of joy. That makes me happy every day. Maybe not my weight, but, mm. but Paul says, as mentioned a little bit earlier, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It does not read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, happiness, peace, and so on. So the Lord designed joy for us to experience, for us to encounter, for us to engage with by him who is the most joyful being in the universe. The most joyful being is Him. So He wants us to encounter and feel and engage. And so what's fascinating is that another aspect of joy that I want to mention is that some of you may have heard this before, and you have heard this before, but maybe not mentioned this way, is that joy is a supra-emotion, which means that it can coexist simultaneously with negative emotions. So even if you lose your job and are worried, angry, frustrated at the response of what happened to you, You can be angry and even joyful. You can be frustrated and joyful. You can be worried and still joyful. But guess what? You can't be angry and happy. You can't be frustrated and happy. But you can be joyful. It can coexist. It's a different type of emotion that can live with other emotions. It's embedded in who we are and designed us the way so we can go through life with these moments. He knew that life will have all these things. Moments of grief, sorrow, frustration, depression, confusion, suffering, anger, and so much more. So what better way to endure these things in these times and seasons of our lives because of that? Joy can go as this with these emotions. We have been given the gift and blessing of joy to outweigh what life can throw and will throw at us. And now to go in a deeper way, neurological studies have revealed and discovered and much regarding our brains and the functions of it. Now, it doesn't play just a part in a rational consciousness, but in all functions of the body and the whole human person. So the brain is divided in two parts. You have the left brain, and then the right brain. So specific areas that have a responsibility for different functions, but while functioning as a whole. So in the left brain, you have thinking in words, sequencing, linear thinking, mathematics, logic, facts. And then on the right brain, you got feelings, visualization, imagination, you know, intuition, rhythm, basic thinking, Uh, holistic thinking, excuse me, and art and relational attachments. What's funny is is that we also get this is where you have introvert and extrovert. We all probably know our Enneagram numbers in here. We love those things and figuring out who we are. If you wanna know, I'm a two-wing three. I sometimes get confused with three-wing two. I don't know, actually, but it's one of the two. And so we're fascinated to know who we are and our personality types and so on and so forth, but I want you to know that you are not your personality. You are a person. Sometimes these things get us stuck in what we think we are when actually we're only living in part. You have a left brain. You have a right brain. For all you extroverts, you can't be introverted. For you introverts, you can't have feelings. It's okay. It's totally fine. You can be upset and verbalize it. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's okay. It's fine. So our brain functions as one. Everything together. One thing. But also another thing that's really cool, which is referred, is to have a joy our brain has a joy center, a part of it. as in the right prefrontal cortex, it is unformed at birth, but over time it grows and expands. In fact, the majority of our brain development ends during childhood. the joy center of the brain continues only to expand and contracts over a lifetime. So joy, quite literally, grows in our brain. Sounds like fruit. And as joy grows in us, its fertilizer is being in relationships, attachments to people, because joy is only produced in relational connection. Joy is only produced by attachment to another. So fullness of joy is only produced when we, us, attach ourselves to Jesus. When we abide or unite, you know, we talked about that at home series in John 15, where we unite ourselves and we remain, we abide with him. And this is where the fullness of that joy is. So when we love or we have the joyful love of the Father is extended in us, it's meant to be produced in us. It's in the same So this is where we must, again, distinguish joy from happiness. Joy produces happiness, but sustains beyond happiness. And happiness can be generated through a self-created experience. Food. Man, I love food. Movies, activities, and joy cannot because it requires another person. What I loved last week is that Powell, when she was preaching in part of her sermon, she actually mentioned a verse that I was going to bring up today. And she mentioned about us as people of God, individually, communally, facing him, like looking and seeking his face, looking towards him, gazing at his beauty. I loved it because this is what's funny is that we have been created for facial recognition, our brains are designed for this and look specifically to another person to find it, joy. So it fills up our emotional gas tank. For example, when I get home, Grace is usually home before me. And so almost every time if she is home before me, I come into the door, I'm usually greeted with a smile and this sense of excitement to see me. It does something to you. For those of you who know when you come home, and you have someone waiting on you, you open the door, and they are excited. It don't even have to be a spouse. It could be a friend you haven't seen in a long time, and they just, their eyes light up, and they're smiling, and they just want to be with you. Like, it literally does something to you. It makes you feel wanted. It makes you feel loved and appreciated. Like, you matter. Like, someone is actually excited to see you. So, Joey takes me over. The face of someone glad to see me. And so humans require face-to-face connection to experience it, where we see one another, hear one another, and are with one another. I know we've all heard of Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, in Psalm sixteen, eleven, it says, "You make known to me the path of life; in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hands are pleasures." Forever more. What actually was so crazy to me was I saw this verse and I wanted to go into it. You know, I'd grab a good old Greek thing that I had no clue what I was looking at to figure out some Greek words in its original meaning, or in this sense, Hebrew. And so what's fascinating, if you took presence, which is in here, in this verse, and looked at its Hebrew meaning, it means Face. Face. So if you look in the Old Testament and you find the word presence, and it's alluding to God, it doesn't just say presence. It means face. So instead of like us reading it this way, in your presence there's fullness of joy, Hebrews would say a similar manner of this, in the light of your face is the fullness of joy in the light of your face. Isn't it fascinating that we need joy and attachment to someone relationally and you can only get that through face-to-face? This is before we knew anything about our brains scientifically. Isn't it fascinating that the person that you and I were created by knew what we needed? That we needed relationship with other people, but more than that, a relationship with him where we seek his face. So you, when you ask or pray, when you're by yourself or when we're together and having a little pre-service prayer and we're asking for Jesus, let your presence be here. We're asking Jesus, let your face be here. What sounds better to you? Presence or face? Which one does something to you? A little bit deeper. Face or presence? He designed us to seek his face and his presence. And in the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord was actually veiled. There are moments like with Moses in Exodus 33, 19 through 20. And it says, And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and you will proclaim, or excuse me, before you, and will proclaim before you my name. The Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Interesting. So, in this, real quick, he talked about his goodness, and goodness was really more or less a manifestation of his presence, is what he's saying. My goodness, my presence is with you as some type of guidance. But what's funny is that he offered something better than guidance. He said, I will be your guide. I would be with you. He promised to accompany them, to be with them. He was not some God that only lived in a heavenly domain, but he would come down and choose to come down and live among his people. Sounds funny and ironic. In John 1:14, it says that he dwelt among his people. And here he is in the Old Testament near the beginning of the first five books of the Bible. He's still coming down and living among his people. And God wouldn't provide handwriting in the sky But he would come and offer his hand to Moses and the people who walk with him side by side, friend with friend. God wasn't going to send a text message. He was just going to personally show up. However, God's face was veiled. For we couldn't see it and live until roughly 1,400 years later. Luke 2:18 through 12 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were feared, filled with great fear or awe. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that would be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is when the word became flesh, literally. The Savior was born, Jesus, where he walked with his people. He dwelt among his people, and he lived as one of us. We don't think about this too often. A lot of times we're very hyper-focused around Jesus' three years of ministry. Understandably so. We were saved because of it. But we also forget that he lived for 30 years prior to the three years where he engaged fully that led to saving us. He lived 30 years. He was an infant, a toddler, a preteen, teenager, young adult, and an adult. He lived literally among us, went through the same phases of life like one of us. He was a carpenter. He was a blue-collar worker. He built things. He sweated. He was creative. He ate food. He conversated with people. He went home and he slept. He really lived like you and me. He lived with us. That's what God wanted, was to dwell with you and me, to live with you and me, to live like us so we can have a God who understands us, who knows what we need to have joy, to have provision, to have guidance, but not just guidance, but himself, the guide, the father, the creator, the one who would lead us. So he truly lived with us. And as we talked about Moses, God walked by Moses and he kept him from seeing his full glory. But now there was a woman who had this issue of blood for 12 years. Reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And she was healed. Miraculously healed. What's fascinating, she broke the law in doing it by touching a rabbi when a woman was unclean because of her condition. She reached out, touched him, and was healed. This was what's crazy. Jesus was just passing by. God was just passing by and he turned around. Jesus turned around, looking at his daughter. God, his face revealed, looking. That happens to you and me. He turns towards you, looks right at you, and is facing you. Sometimes we don't see him, It's because we probably wandered off. He didn't move. We did. Sometimes we don't feel his presence or his warmth. It's probably because we walked away from the fire. Good thing is, you can walk back because he's already looking towards you, literally looking at you. He loves you and is invested and involved in you, in your life. Our lives as we're ready to turn towards Him in His presence. But you may be asking, well, this doesn't seem easy to face the Lord and find joy. And you wouldn't be wrong. Doesn't mean it's easy. Not easy at all, actually. However, There is a way. So why should we give up? And that way to joy, its path is gratitude. Because gratitude leads us to joy. Gratitude, thankfulness, thanksgiving, thanking him for what we have. King David said, gladden the heart of your servant, the soul of the servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. What he's asking, is that he isn't glad. And really, he's asking, cause my heart to rejoice because when you will, and it does, it will lead me to joy. I will be on the path to joy, to encounter it, to experience it, to have it. That's what David is saying. Glad in my heart, asking him, help me, show me, teach me. What he was wanting is his heart to rejoice. Robert Emmons says, to have joy, our eyes must be wide open in gratitude. You can't create happiness, but you can create a sense of joy. How? Gratitude. This is how Paul and Philippians can be in jail and still be joyful. I think, my God, every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day and until now. Or in First Thessalonians, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not some, not little, but all. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So how do you rejoice always? You give thanks in all circumstances. This is literally God's design and will. And what's God's will? Your joy produced by thanksgiving. Because your brains are literally designed this way. Where it's thanking God for what he has done and for what he he is going to do. And I have some practical steps up here to lean towards joy for you guys. And so one of them being cultivate thankfulness and gratitude. Remember all of God's blessings and what he has done for you and he's poured out on us and then respond in thankfulness. One time I I did this little challenge for myself a long time ago and basically it was like for for three days, you didn't ask God for anything. Nothing. You didn't ask for Him for anything. You, know, you just thanked Him for what He's given you and what you have, whatever. The first day, I learned out, learned really quickly that um, I ran out words to be thankful for when I was really good at asking Him for things I wanted or needed. The second one is pour out your hearts to God. Sometimes we withhold our experience of joy because we're not pouring out to him. We have allowed things to get in the way to block us from communicating. David says, trust in him, O people. Pour out your hearts to God. Trust him. If you don't like what he is doing, tell him. If you're frustrated at him, tell him. You're not experiencing joy, joy, rejoicing, gladness. Tell him. Literally pour out every day. Pour out. Tell him. He is not afraid of what you're going to say. He's not afraid of what you're going to share. He's not. So pour out. Let it go. Let go of control and just let him have it. Pour it out. The next one limiting time from screens. This one's really, really hard for me. I'm not going to lie. Your brain recognizes when you're looking at a screen and the person you're watching isn't present nor physical. So really what it's doing is it's absorbing the dopamine and serotonin that is left in your brain because it recognizes that that is not a real person. What's fascinating is like, how do you open your, facial recognition it's counterfeit joy it's not real always recognizing but never seeing so remove yourself from the screens remove yourself from the phone remove yourself from the binge watching, the Netflix Discovery Plus all the other streams that are out there. There's many. Just remove yourself, not permanently, just for a time. Take time out of your day where you're not. Your brain isn't constantly working, where you can just be present. And the last one, don't stop. It won't happen overnight. It won't. But over time, the imbalances within yourself will begin to level up. But not just by your own efforts alone, but by the help of the Spirit inside of you. So as we close, last week, pal, actually had this visual aid. And what's funny is I actually have one today. And so I'm going to ask my two volunteers to give it up for Bo and Gabriel. Just follow suit, Gabriel just follow suit that's all you got to do so one of them has a cup that is empty one cup is completely full so what they're going to do is they're going to start at this communion table and they're going to kind of race like you don't have to sprint we ain't, we're not on the Olympics so they're going to just race to the next communion table now while they do it I want you to pay attention to the difference so I'm going to count down are you ready we might do it twice so you can have it'd be funny just to see him go twice and so we might do it twice so i'm gonna give a countdown three two one go you can't let it spill bo you can't let it spill can't let it spill sorry bo make one more time but i want i want y'all to really see this watch him again tell me what you see three two one go wow that was great you didn't get no water out that time sweet thank you guys so much for your help my question is what did you see one was empty one was full what cup are yours is your cup empty is your cup full? While Bo was going, took a little bit longer. But who was full? When Gabriel went, yeah, sure, he got there quicker. Everybody's on a race. Everybody's trying to get to the finish line. But he was still empty. What are you full of? And are you even full? Do you want joy? Do you want joy? It's not rhetorical. I want you to ask yourself, do you want joy? Have you been experiencing joy? Do you want peace? Do you want hope? Do you want love? When's the last time you felt that or experienced that in your heart? Do you know today that Jesus loves you and feel it? Sure, we don't have to feel everything about our lives, but we do have emotions and they do play a part. And it's always sometimes, it feels good to know you're loved. And it is good to feel joy. So, there's this thing in Psalms, and even today, in Isaiah 61, they mention this phrase, oil of joy. And in Psalms, David even mentioned oil of gladness, where they would do this thing, like they would anoint people with oil for Many different reasons, but specifically oil of joy, where people were anointed specifically for joy. So, today, part of our communion time, we're going to have that. Jordan's going to be up here, Spencer's going to be up here, myself's going to be up here to anoint those of you who want it to be anointed. Do you want joy? do you want them? and if you just want time to linger or you want to just come to the altar to be at the altar if you just want to sit for a minute and process and pray great that's awesome so before we do that let me pray Jesus thank you so much for who you are that when you look at us you are joyful The joy, simply put, is that you're excited to see us. That you light up every time we look at you. Your heart swells with love towards anybody and everybody in this room. So those in this room that are not experiencing joy or not experiencing any of this or may even feel empty. Would you please fill them? Remind them that they were actually worth dying for. Remind them that you're with them. And Lord, I'm seriously asking. I'm not just wanting to play church games. Lord, I'm begging that you would show them. And ask Holy Spirit, the One who is peace and joy and life, would invade their hearts in those spaces that have been empty, in those spaces that have been dark, in those spaces that have been covered by gloom and just empty. Would you illuminate it and feel it with your presence, so they can feel joy again? Grow the flame in their heart. For those of us in the room, some of us have embers. Lord, put the flame together. Stoke the fire. Lord, the Holy Spirit, have your way in this space. As we think, as we pray, as we anoint, as we come to the table. We thank you. We ask this. Amen.